BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, guys? And welcome back to the Dream Bigger podcast. If you're new here, welcome. I'm your host, Sif, and I'm the founder of Icing and Glitter, which is a blog, Instagram page, and YouTube channel. If you've been part of this community for a while, you'll know that I have a deep passion for health and wellness. There's a few things I love more than reading books on health and nutrition, and a few functional medicine practitioners have been absolutely instrumental in my education in this field. Dr. Frank Lipman is one of them, and I am so excited to bring his wealth of knowledge to you guys today. Dr. Frank Lipman is a leader in functional medicine and practices a philosophy called good medicine, which combines cutting edge modern medicine with age old healing techniques. Essentially, it's the best of both worlds. Dr. Lipman's philosophy is grounded in a holistic approach to health. He teaches people how to eat, what a good lifestyle looks like, and everything in between. Today's conversation is full of great information on all things health and wellness, and I know you guys are going to love it. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Frank Lipman to the Dream Bigger podcast. Okay, so Dr. Lipman, first things first, I want you to explain the difference between functional medicine and Western medicine. Well, functional medicine is Western medicine. It's just uh, using Western medicine when it's appropriate. So Mm -hmm. if someone's acutely ill or uh, has an acute emergency, if someone has pneumonia or someone bursts their appendix, you use Western medicine drugs or surgery. But Western medicine tools are just drugs and surgery. So functional medicine uses Western medicine when it's appropriate. But for most problems that people go to the doctor for, these are chronic um, problems um, that Western medicine doesn't have good answers for. Because if you go to your doctor with, uh, you can't poop or you've got a headache, you get a pill which suppresses a symptom. Functional medicine looks at the underlying cause. So functional medicine is looking at what's causing the problem and tries to remove and address the cause rather than just address the symptom. So it's important to realize that functional medicine includes Western medicine as part of what it's using when it's appropriate. But ultimately, especially for chronic conditions, looks for the underlying cause and addresses that. Got it. And what led you into this world where like, I mean, you're obviously like a trained MD and you use functional methods when appropriate. So what led you into this world? Um, Early on in my training, I realized the shortcomings of Western medicine. And um, I thought if I was going to be effective as a doctor, this is in 
the, the early 80s, um, so that's almost 40 years ago, I realized that to, to practice medicine in a, in a way that I felt comfortable with, I would need to seek other ways of treating patients. And that's what led me into Chinese medicine. And that was the beginning. And then I went into nutrition and yoga and meditation. But it was a disillusionment with Western medicine and seeing that it had so many shortcomings in addressing the problems that I was seeing. Right. Um, <clears throat> so obviously, like a big part of like functional medicine is gut health. So I was hoping you could get into why that's so important. Right. I think one part of functional medicine is is gut health, which is not particularly well addressed by Western medicine. And it is an important part of of functional medicine because the the health of your gut is key to your health in general. You know, if you think of it, you know, we all are very aware of our skin on the outside of the body, protects our body from all the external factors. But your gut and the gut lining is really the skin of the inside of your gut because it's protecting you from from the external um, <coughs> variants as well. The, the food you eat and the liquids you drink have to go through the gut. So you need a very strong gut wall to protect you from a lot of these toxins and, and outside allergens that are coming into your body. Um, in addition, we the gut, which which we are only starting to acknowledge now is contains these trillions and trillions of bacteria which are a whole organ system in and of itself and when those bacteria are out of balance or there's too many bacteria that are triggering inflammation or other problems that creates problems throughout your body you know as i said earlier we have this very thin gut wall which is protecting us from outside influences but it's also protecting us what from you know the breakdown products of what's going on in the gut and if the this microbiome this collection of bacteria is not um, optimal or is unhealthy that's going to affect how food's broken down and it's going to create toxins and and food products that are not broken down properly and that's going to go through this gut wall and and into our bloodstream and trigger all sorts of inflammatory conditions all over the body so that's like leaky gut essentially exactly so what are like leading causes of leaky gut like what do you see most often with like your patients and just in general I think leaky gut usually develops over time Mm -hmm. and it develops because we have a chronic problem with the food that we're eating. Um, in Amer- you know, one example, in America in particular, I don't know about Canada, I think it's probably the same, we have an uh, epidemic of glyphosate on our food. Glyphosate is an active ingredient in Roundup, which is used for genetically modified foods, but it's, but the Glyphosate is not only used for for genetically modified foods, it's also used to spray crops to dry them quicker in America. I'm not sure about Canada, as I said. Um, So you have glyphosate, which is not only um, thought of as a carcinogen by the World Health Organization, but it's also a registered antibiotic. So we have this pesticide um, sprayed on m- most grains and most beans that that aren't genetically modified, um, and 
so we have this this uh, toxin, this toxic pesticide on our on so much of our food. So we're ingesting this pesticide, which is then going to affect our microbiome, which is then going to affect our, the lining of our wall. So that's just one example. But you know, there are many other problems in our food. The antibiotics that we use to fatten animals up in factory farm foods, pesticides in general. Um, many of the medications we use. So there are many other causes of altering your microbiome, or altering our microbiomes, and then affecting the gut wall. So you speak, or I've I've seen you like talk about the four R method that you guys have, and it is for gut health, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Could you share a little bit about what exactly that is? Sure. I call it now the five R's. It was classically known as four. So f- the, the the four five R's are. Uh, <coughs> You got to first R would be remove. You got to remove um, the pesticides and the foods that are causing a problem. There could be food um, foods that you could be sensitive to. Gluten and dairy are two classic examples. Um, you need to um, replace possible deficiencies in digestive enzymes or hydrochloric acid to help you digest. How do we do that? Well. That can be difficult, but you know the easiest way is just to take a supplement. Um, uh, other ways are to to have some apple cider vinegar before you eat. That will help you with a hydrochloric acid. You can use bitter herbs. Uh, you know, Swedish bitters are that you get them in liquid form, and you can take that before you eat. That will stimulate your digestive juices. Or you take digestive enzymes or hydrochloric acid if you need it. Now, that's m- usually more of a problem in older people. Got it. Younger people, that's usually not the problem. The problem is the food they're eating. And then the third R, which is re-inoculate. You need to sometimes and, and, and um, not initially actually put in the good bacteria. Mm-hmm. But that's not as easy. Um, sometimes you need to put in what we call prebiotics, not mm-hmm. probiotics, foods that actually feed the good bacteria. Uh, yeah. So that's the third R, re-inoculate. Wh- remove, well, replace, re-inoculate. And, and what, are the, like, what are a couple of good foods that have prebiotics, which you recommend to people to well, incorporate into their diets? usual um, recommendation is to eat the stalks and the stems of your vegetables mm. because the fiber that you your body doesn't break down then goes through into the large intestine and, and is broken down by the bacteria and, and feeds the bacteria. So that's the easiest way. So really? don't, don't cut off uh, the stalks and the stems of your asparagus, although asparagus generally is good, you know, has prebiotics, garlic, Jerusalem artichoke, onions. What about like but, broccoli? But the sto- broccoli? But the stalks are the most important part because that's the, it's the fiber. It's that fibrous part that's not broken down by your body's normal digestive mechanisms, and that's what feeds the bacteria. So eat stalks and stems is my classic recommendation. Such an easy tip, too. Everyone can do this. Yep. Um, Yeah, and then the fourth? The fourth one is uh, repair. So you need to repair the gut lining. Now, you can do that with uh, glutamine. Use some fish oil sometimes help... um, Colostrum can help. Um, I'm using more and more colostrum. Um, and the fifth one, which people don't talk too much about, is relax. You know, if we are stressed out and we 
um, eating when we're stressed out, that's going to affect your digestion as well. So think of it, remove remove the problems. Also, the, the one aspect I didn't talk about in remove, many people have an overgrowth of yeast or bacteria. SIBO has become small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or parasites. So you've got to remove those too. How so do you, you do usually that? remove those first. So the, f- the first thing I do with my patients when they come in with digestive problems, I remove the foods that may be a problem. So put them on some type of elimination diet. And I give them antimicrobials, herbs usually, that can kill an overgrowth of yeast or What are parasites. a couple of examples of antimicrobial herbs? Oregano oil, berberine, um, grapefruit seed extract, um, wormwood. So, you know, I, I have combination of herbal formulas that I use. So I use that a lot. And sometimes you need drugs. Sometimes you need antifungal drugs like nystatin or even Diflucan, fluconazole. Sometimes you need antiparasitic drugs. So it all depends what's growing. Sometimes for SIBO, you even need, the, you know, there is an antibiotic, but it usually only works temporarily. It, you know, the SIBO comes back. But, you know, Zafaximin is an antibiotic of choice used by traditional doctors. So you sometimes need the drugs, but I usually try to start with herbs. And how how do you even know if you have SIBO? Like, are there any well, like giveaways? SIBO in particular, there's a test that can confirm it. But the giveaways are you usually get um, bloated soon after you eat. Um, you can get constipated or or diarrhea actually with SIBO. But you the the big um, tip is you know bloating very soon after you eat. Sometimes you can get nausea as well, but bloating and gas but bloating very soon after you eat is is a real is a typical indicator yeah so you've also spoken about like the importance of something like bone broth for example what are like first of all why thank bone you for broth? remind me yeah, yeah. <laughs> um why bone broth and what are some other like healing foods that you recommend well i think bone broth is unusual in in because it can actually help not only um, it's got the nutrients that help the the cells of the gastrointestinal tracts that can help with a leaky gut so that's why it's particularly helpful apart from the prebiotic foods there are not that many foods per se that are helpful it's actually removing the foods that cause a problem that is more important than foods but bone broth in particular is particularly helpful for all sorts of things but Definitely for leaky gut. Love it. You've also spoken about the harmful effects of sugar. Um, and I wanted to discuss that a little bit. Like, why why is it that it's so harmful? Well, sugar is probably the, you know, the commonest toxin we put into our body. You know, if you have a little bit of sugar, it's probably not a problem for m- most people. But it's the amount of sugar that we eat and it's the amount of sugar that food companies put into their food. So we're eating much more sugar than our body can process. And sugar, you know, not only will create an imbalance in your microbiome, which we are talking about, but can lead to all sorts of, you know, over time, you know, leads to inflammation and then heart disease and diabetes and even Alzheimer's is now being called, you know, diabetes three. So sugar is the devil. Now, when you're younger, your age, um, most people can tolerate sugar to a certain extent. Although young women, in particular, can get acne and 
hormonal problems. So uh, what, what I'm seeing is younger and younger women in particular um, developing problems that I only used to see in 40-year-olds wow. maybe 20 years ago. So we're seeing, you know, uh, issues or, or younger women presenting with, with issues much sooner in their lives than they should be. But I think the biggest issue for young women, because I think that's your audience, is the what it does to the gut. And, and too much sugar in addition to too many antibiotics that most of your generation unfortunately have had because of my generation of doctors, that combination of too many antibiotics which kill the good bacteria, antibiotics kill any bacteria that are sensitive to it, so it can start decimating the good bacteria in the microbiome. That in addition to sugar um, and processed foods leads to a lot of imbalance in the gut, leaky gut and autoimmune diseases which have become epidemic in your age group. So I think sugar by itself is a huge problem. Sugar, in addition to all the other abuses we do to the body, is a major, major problem. What is like the sort of recommended amount of sugar so that like i don't know if if someone as likes little dessert. as possible <laughs> i you know I, I don't recommend you know i think we've got to be realistic i think you've got to see sugar as a toxin and sugar as an addictive drug that you've got to get off for sure it's addictive but you, you've got to eat as little as possible and you've got to realize that the sugar in juice you know the, ju- the juicing craze is you know fruit juice is basically yeah. sugar doesn't even have the fiber to help you break it down. Exactly. So sugar's a problem. I don't say, you know, I love sugar too. Don't get me wrong. I'm, you know, I've been a sugar addict and I still love my sugar. But, you know, when you see how it affects your body, you've got to just eat as little as possible. I'm not saying you should never eat sugar. That's unrealistic. But um, depending on what's going on, if you have some disease process if you've got autoimmune disease or you've got a gut problem sugar there's a is even more of a problem so you need to so i wouldn't say there's any recommended dose and what about fruits how do you feel about fruits well fruits are nature's candy i'm not necessarily against fruit you've mm-hmm. got to be careful you shouldn't eat too much and you should eat you should eat your fruit not drink it um, and if you're young and healthy or if you're old and healthy fruit is not necessarily a bad thing you just you shouldn't think of fruit as as you can eat as much as you like and you'll be fine i mean i became pre-diabetic from eating too much fruit and grains and being on a pescatarian type of diet and when i stopped eating grains and stopped eating fruits but i was much older then i resolved my pre-diabetes so you know someone like me who has a genetic predisposition to diabetes I hardly eat fruit anymore. I'll have some berries, but that's it. So it all depends. You've got to see what your, you know, your your genes are. You've got to see what your metabolism is. You've got to see how you process the sugar. But fruit is sugar, albeit the best sugar you can get if you're going to eat it. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> wow, that like about the pre-diabetic thing, that's just... That's crazy. Um, And I know that there's like no really like, I guess, one diet fits all philosophy, Mm -hmm. but you do discuss the good plate philosophy that you have. What does that look like? 
Well, you know, when you write a book, you have to come up with a good plate. But I don't know if there's one right good plate for everyone. And I think it changes with um, your age as well. You know, when I was, you know, I'm 65 now. When I was in my 50s, I was eating more of a paleo diet, eating a lot more animal protein and a lot of vegetables, very little carbs now that i'm getting older and we know uh, this is not really for your audience but as you get older too much animal protein can inhibit some of the longevity gene pathways so i've Mm. cut back a lot on my animal protein Uh, i still eat it and you know as long as it's well sourced it's not that i don't eat it but uh, so the perfect plate is is something you've got to find what's perfect for your body I think you should eat as many vegetables, you know, green leafy vegetables as possible. Um, if you can and you you don't have a diabetic tendency or pre-diabetic tendency, some, you know, root veg- vegetables aren't a problem. Um, but I, in general, recommend eating as many vegetables, um, some protein and lots of good fats. I'm, I'm, I think we all eat too many carbohydrates now some people can tolerate more than others Um, uh, but as a general rule my plate would be low carbohydrate you know medium to high fat medium protein and as you get older um, that protein needs to be less animal protein and more plant protein any recommended sources for plant proteins like what do you really like well that's (laughs) That becomes more of an issue, you know. I think as you get older, it becomes, you know, I'm, I don't, you know, there are all these vegan worlds and paleo worlds and keto worlds, and I'm not, I don't, you know, it's the ideologues which are actually fine for some people and not fine for others. I think, um, you know, I, you know, I'll give you my example. Mm -hmm. I just eat a lot more you know i eat a lot more um, salads without um you know i I always used to put let's say chicken organic chicken or something i don't as much now i'll just eat a salad i'll put maybe some feta cheese in um i will eat as you know i need two meals a day so as you get older the less you eat the better too so i'll have usually a pea protein shake at work for lunch and then i'll have just a big salad i'm lucky i have a a wife who cooks well (laughs) but um i don't necessarily worry about protein myself because i usually have a pea protein shake and once i think i've had that i'm not that worried about the other protein but i will have fish i will have eggs i love fish i love eggs um and i'll have meat maybe once a week um and that's that's your, it. That's your good plate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the older you get, the wiser you get, and the, the more you realize there is no one way. I mean, that the, that line, "there's no one right diet," is is really. It's so true. I mean, it's, true. it's like whatever works. And it for changes people, yeah. as you get older. My diet's changed radically over the years. Not yeah. radically, but in 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 fairly radically, um, and. Things I was saying maybe three or four years ago, I've changed. You know, I've adapted. I don't push as much animal protein as I used to as we get older. I think, you know, my daughter, for instance, just had a baby. 
I think when you your age and my daughter's age and um, when you're growing and um, having babies, I think that protein is good for you. I don't think animal protein is necessarily bad, mm -hmm. but I think once you get to my age, because of what it does to the longevity genes, animal, too much too much animal protein is not good. So you know, I I, I have to uh, acknowledge that I've been telling people the wrong things or especially as we get older so i think the the idea that there's no one right diet is is right but there's n there's no one right diet and, or the diet changes as we age as well i think it's really interesting that you say that because um i think so in so many places we see that oh like there's just one way to eat and like you eat like that throughout your whole life and it's it like it obviously like what you're saying makes so much sense because how we like grow it changes and like what we need our nutrients it just changes as we age like i i know that i can't tolerate the same amount of carbs that i used to when i was like 14 15 years old today you know so it, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying yeah i think you got to listen to the most important thing is listening to your body um mm -hmm. and uh uh you got to adjust accordingly you know i eat i only eat two meals now so i think the other important thing as you age is eating less mm -hmm. eating less and now uh you know intimate i fast most night you know most you know as i, I say in my books eat dinner earlier and breakfast later i think eating your food within a time restricted period of let's say about eight hours is good for you especially as you age it's all different when you're younger so i think my uh, approach to eating and living has changed as i've aged and and that's how i address my patients so what i'll tell your folks is probably different to what i'll tell you right. i think that's important right yeah, how you eat how you exercise how you sleep all everything we all got to adapt so um you, like obviously you you practice intermittent fasting but how do you feel about intermittent fasting for like people like a, y younger people um i like intermittent fasting i'm not against it I, you may not you know i think um I don't know if it's necessary if you're young, and it may not be the best thing if you, you know, I, I see this cutoff phase at about 45, and until you're 40, 45, you're growing. You want things that help you grow and and have babies, etc., etc. Once you're 45 and over, it's about maintaining what you have. So the way you adjust your lifestyle, exercise, food you know how you relax etc changes um so i think for younger people it can be helpful especially if people want to lose weight but if younger women who want to have babies i'm not sure it's that healthy for them you know you you got to see i'm not i i encourage my older patients to fast but not necessarily my younger patients interesting um so like you you have like a very holistic method for like good health and i've read your book and you talk about the my six book, springs my books my books i read one no no i've read the most recent okay. one recently <laughs> so you speak about the six rings of good medicine and i like i love this philosophy because i think that it promotes good health at 
So you should be ages. promoting that book. Yes. Never mind oh, yes. I recommend it to account. everyone who <laughs> listens yeah. to me. Yeah. So could you share what these six rings are and why they're beneficial? Yeah, I mean, the six rings are just a way of, you know, once again, when you're writing a book, you've got to systemize a way of thinking. You've got to present information in a way that people are going to take it in. So I just happened to um, divide the way I think into six areas. Mm-hmm. Um, eating, sleeping, moving, meditating or relaxing, not relaxing. So eating, sleeping, moving, relaxing, um, what I call protecting, which is because we're exposed to so many toxins. That's five. And the last one is connecting because I think that how we connect to ourselves, to our community and the and nature and the environment is really important for our health. Mm-hmm. So that's how I divided up into six rings. But I, the six rings become important because I was trying to, for so many years, I'd taken my uh, learnings from Eastern medicine and put it into a Western concept. And with the latest book, I'd try to take um, uh, something I'd learned from Buddhism and, and mandalas, and I'd try to take my Western knowledge and put it into a mandala. So that's how the six rings come about. I think with it's you really in cool. the, you as a patient, as a person in the middle, and as it's something to meditate on. Was so it was a philosophical construct that I was trying to present but it's really trying to take this you know the different areas of health and and put it into a way that people can sort of understand it Mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting and I I love the approach um you you speak about stress levels like relaxation why is it important that we lower our stress level like how does it um how does it impact like human beings yeah, once again, you know, same as our diet has changed and the world has changed, most of us live with chronic stress, um, whether it's financial or your boyfriend, husband's giving you problems, your family problems, your boss. <coughs> you know, our bodies were not developed to deal with the chronic stress that most of us are under. We, you know, our bodies are developed to deal with acute stress. You know, the classic example, you see a lion, you either run away or, you know, the fight or flight or you fight it. So, um, but we are having that stressful situation in an ongoing manner, whether, you know, from work, from um, just the life that we live today. So I think it behooves us to try to do something to balance that you know the stress you know the the two main nervous system parts of the nervous system that we talk about the sympathetic nervous system which stress triggers and then the parasympathetic nervous system which relaxation triggers so you want to balance that more so doing more things in your life that will trigger uh a parasympathetic response or a response that is opposite to stress a meditation um, you know, a lot of people exercise to relax, which is fine. You can walk in nature. You can, you know, garden. You can um, um, wash the dishes. You can do any anything to get you out of that stressful response. Um, so I'm not attached to to what people do, but I think people need to do something to counteract our stressful lives. And in most cultures. Um, you know, if you look at 
most cultures in the world they've always the meditation or something like meditation was always part of mm-hmm. what they practiced as was fasting by the way i yeah. mean so a lot of what i teach or what i believe is sort of taking a lot of the wisdom from these old cultures and trying to bring it into the way we live our lives today yeah i love that um you also talk about like our culture leaning more towards yang as opposed to yin. Yep. Um, so like the whole thing of like doing more and I see it all the time myself where like, you know, everyone's just like, like doing more and more and more and then they like lose out on things like sleep. So I think one of the questions I, I have to ask is like, how can we improve our quality of sleep? Like how can, like how much do we need to sleep? How can we improve it? And why is it so important? Yeah, well, sleep is not a passive state. Um, sleep is an important part of, of the day where your body's actually recovering and repairing. And, you know, the, one of the aspects of, or one function that happens during sleep is, you know, you have this system in the brain called the lymphatic system, which clears out all the toxins and the proteins and the breakdown products of 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 a brain that's active during the day and if you don't clear that out um over time it creates all sorts of problems I- including probably in fact there's more and more research saying alzheimer's disease so um this system this lymphatic system only works when you sleep and the, the example i always use is if you have a party one night um you wake up in the morning and there's a mess there and if you don't clear up the mess and you have another party the next night, the mess just builds up and builds up. And after a week, you'll have this really messy apartment or house, whatever, wherever you're having this party. Um, and the same thing is happening in your brain. If you're not clearing out that mess that's created during the day, which is normal, but if you, it's also normal to clear it out at night. And if you're not sleeping, you're not clearing it out and that becomes a problem. So... Um, that's one of the things, but you know, during your sleep, your 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 body's repairing, it's recovering, it's um, it's producing hormones that help you grow. Um, so, sleep is key, and uh, you know, most of the time we don't sleep at night, not because what of what we're doing at night, it's because what what's happening during the day, and probably the commonest cause of sleep problems is stress or not dealing with. Um, the stress during the day. So what you do it during the day is really important. And um, you, you've got to remember sleep is your primary rhythm. You know, our body has many, many rhythms. And your day-night cycle is your primary rhythm. And if you don't get enough natural light during the day, um, that's going to affect your sleep. And if you're sitting under artificial lights during the day and have too much artificial light at night you're not going to sleep properly as well. So what you do during the day is key to how you sleep. Love that. Um, One more thing I wanted to discuss is the idea of inflammation, which we like kind of touched on or which you touched on when you were speaking about food. I think it's like a chronic problem right now. And I think so much of like what we deal with, you know, like whether it's like skin issues or like illnesses are a result of like inflammation. So could we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So so inflammation is probably the one of the if not the most common underlying uh just chronic issue that 
um, we deal with, and the inflammation can then go on to cause heart disease and Alzheimer's and um, obesity and skin problems that can affect all organs uh, in your body. And as we talked about earlier, the commonest cause, I believe, of inflammation is a gut problem where you have uh, a microbiome that's out of balance and a leaky gut because you have these pro-inflammatory chemicals going through the gut into the bloodstream and then presenting in your joints, in your skin, in your heart, everywhere in the body. So um, inflammation is probably the commonest underlying issue that we have to deal with. And the one of the ways you actually try to deal with inflammation is to treat the gut. Good to know. Um, what are three actionable tips someone can do like right now to improve their gut health? Like what can they cut out? What can they add in? Like what supplements can they take? Like three things. Um, well, you we talked about bone broth. I think that can be helpful. But m most important is to remove the foods that could be making the inflammation worse. So I'm a I'm not a fan of grains in general, in particular gluten grains, but grains in general, maybe because they've been sprayed with glyphosate. I don't know, but I, I usually take out grains. Um, dairy is one of those foods some people tolerate, some people don't. Um, but I think the most important thing is, you know, I see more and more people who have gut imbalances that need to be treated, whether it's yeast or SIBO or parasites. So you need to try work with someone or go online and try work it out see if you have one of those problems and take herbs to try and and balance that i mean it's complicated gut stuff unfortunately is not stuff is not so easy to to treat oneself um unfortunately but i would you know um remove sugar processed foods and grains drink bone broth um uh, and try and deal with the the overgrowth of of the bugs that may be causing a problem. Any supplements that like, or what are your favorite supplements that you recommend to young women? Well, w once again, it all depends. I mean, I do a lot of bloods just to see what levels are. You know, a lot of people are low in vitamin D, so vitamin D. I'll, so I give targeted supplementation. Mm -hmm. So if people are low in vitamin D, which often they are, use vitamin D. I use, I, I check for omega-3 levels. Um, if people are low, I give fish oils. Um, young women often need uh, hormonal balancing. Um, sometimes I'll, I'm seeing more and more young women with low progesterone levels. So, um, you know, we give maca root, but it's complicated because different people have different problems. I don't think there's simple three supplements for all young women. I think the most important thing would be to um, clean up their diet, uh, learn to meditate, um, and don't take sleep for granted rather than just the di I mean, sleep's really important. Sleep is 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 one of those keys to help to health that people ignore. So you know, sleep sleep more. Um, take out all the crap from your diet, um, and 
try and deal with the stress. And if, if, if you're doing it with the exercise, that's fine. But the, the sooner you learn to meditate or control your mind, the better it's going to be for you. Love it. On that note, we will end and tell everyone where they can find you before we do. Um, you find me at drfranklipman.com. Instagram. Um, Instagram, I think. Yeah, Instagram. Um, Dr. Frank Lipman. I'll yeah, put it in the show notes. Do, yeah, it's Dr. Frank Lipman. Instagram, Dr. Frank Lipman website, Facebook, Twitter. You guys don't do that anymore. I don't know why. <laughs> um, and that's it. Amazing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay.